Welcome to PitchBook's Invisible Capital Podcast, where we use data, research, and conversation to reveal important trends and issues in the private markets. Welcome, everyone, to the Invisible Capital Podcast. We're devoting season one to examining the private markets by discussing the work of PitchBook analysts and writers during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Adam Lewis, a private equity reporter for the PitchBook newsletter. And I'm Adley Bowden, head of our editorial and institutional research groups. Today, we're joined by Dan Cook, lead of our data analyst team, and Andy White, senior analyst on the same data analyst team, to discuss PitchBook's new quantitative reports and specifically the VC one that we put out recently. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. You know, maybe just before we get into the reports themselves, uh, Dan, you can give us an overview of your team and, you know, what the focus is at PitchBook. You know, my kind of tagline for the team is basically that we specialize in using our data any way that it can be used. Uh, we produce all of the data that powers our reports. We're uh, intensely familiar with our methodologies uh, and and our data sets and, and really all of their use cases. So um, with the quant perspectives reports, uh, we saw an opportunity to apply a little bit more rigorous data and statistics practices to some of our research, um, specifically applying some regressions uh, to come up with some projections uh, and, and give people a better idea of what to expect, you know, in the coming quarters. And so these reports are new. What was the idea behind these reports, the genesis of them that you're trying to get across? Yeah, the genesis was really a conversation that I had with our director, uh, Nizar, who pushed me to, you know, as we're publishing this content on uh, the pandemic and takeaways for our clients, uh, to look at what our other clients were asking of us, what kind of data sets were uh, relevant to their workflows, and, and can we start to be proactive in pushing that stuff to be in front of them. Uh, that quickly morphed into an effort to create a narrative around those data sets and really highlight the connectivity between those data sets and how they relate to one another. Uh, and ultimately decided the best way to get that out the door was in this format of a kind of visual narrative, setting the scene at a macro level, and then dives into PitchBook's data, uh, looking at what happened in the last downturn and how it might be relevant to this one. Yeah, I would just add also to that, you know, I think these are the types of reports that we've probably had our eye on for a number of years now. And um, as with kind of many things, uh, this current moment has kind of given us a shove in the in the direction of let's we have we have a sort of situation where it warrants content like this. So let's take advantage of that um, and let's put some some quantitative um, you, you know backing behind uh, some of the things that we're seeing in the market. And just to echo Dan, I mean it's really about visual storytelling, right and you know, that's kind of where the, the data experts. Um, and so we want to be able to kind of up our game as far as how we can use data-driven visuals to, to actually communicate a, a narrative and a story about what's going on and maybe, you know, what folks uh, can expect in the future. Yeah, Andy, one narrative you guys go into pretty deeply is the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic will have on company valuations at the VC level. I mean, what did you find there? Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's a tricky question to, to answer, right? Because particularly in the VC space, you have, you know, and, and particularly at the early stages, you have... Um, investors sort of getting approached by companies and, and having to come up with 
what they believe is a fair valuation for the company. You know, in, in traditional finance, you have some hard cash flow metrics to look at and, and, you know, market size and all these different things. With VC, it's much more difficult. A lot of those metrics are much more squishy, right? So you're looking at management team, you're looking at potential for a market to grow that is nascent, right? So, so it's much more difficult to sort of model out essentially what you're trying to do when you're creating this model is, okay, how is a venture capitalist going about thinking about valuing a company? And there's so many different inputs that actually are going to affect that valuation, many of which you can't measure. It's, it's sort of a you know, finger in the wind type of a, a thing sometimes. Um, but what we did find when comparing it to the Russell 2000 growth index, which is a small cap index, there is some correlation between those valuation numbers, or there has historically been some, some correlation between those valuation numbers and, and the performance of that index. Yeah, no, it seems like a lot of the public valuations have kind of rebounded, I guess, if you look at the stock market, I mean, over the past few months after that really scary drop in March. Yeah, and that's that's also one of the things that we we kind of found to be a little bit interesting in when we're kind of projecting out based off of historical data what might we expect in those valuation changes and you know, you could expect uh, a a decent drop and they were sort of tempered because of the the current moment where the the public indexes don't seem to quite be comporting with what we see in other macro indicators, you know, job loss and, and GDP growth and other things like that. So it's a little bit of an interesting situation that we're in, obviously, that is definitely different from what we saw in the in the financial crisis. Speaking of the public markets and the GFC, there's some interesting data that you used to forecast valuations moving forward with what you saw in the GFC and what that trend sort of looked like and when you know stock market moved versus valuations. Maybe you could just kind of hit on what uh, you saw there and what the forecast is for valuations over the next 12, 18 months. Yeah. So, you know, what we kind of did was we saw that the the relationship between those valuation changes and the actual change in the public market index, you know, essentially the changes in the valuations lagged the public market performance. So essentially, you know, what that says is investors are sort of looking retroactively at public market performance to then price out deals that they're currently working on and will be working on over the next, you know, several months, right? And so based off of that model, you know, we see we see kind of an expected flattening essentially of the the valuations, the median valuations at both the early stage and and late stage uh, uh, levels. So, you know, we would have expected potentially a um, a bit more of a sudden drop. But again, back to this sort of odd rebound in public markets, we're seeing more of a initial drop and then sort of a level leveling off is what we're projecting out as an expectation. One, one thing I'd add on the you know, more recent uh, bounce back in equities and how that relates to our valuation projections is you know, we're really trying to provide a framework here. Uh, we're not the first people to notice that, that public market valuations can drive uh, pr- private valuations, especially at the late stage in venture. But what we can do is tell you to what degree they're influencing them, right? We have that R squared value, and then we can provide the framework, the equation. And 
you know, our expertise does not lie in projecting where those public markets will go. We've done some of that here um, and, and try to keep it within reasonable expectations. But we really want to empower the user and the reader with the, the full formula, the full scatter plot. They can go in and they can create their own projections and, and based on that, understand how it should impact the private markets. Um, so I think that's just an important kind of caveat for where how to interpret our projections, right? It's based on our uh, it's based on where we think the market's going, but that's not where our expertise lies, right? So just trying to shed light on the relationship uh, and and then empower the reader to use that in their own workflow. I would I would also add to that, you know, we're looking to continue to build on these models. These are single regression models. They're you know, it, it's it's relatively simple, right? So so there's as we've kind of hammered again and again, there's a lot of things, a lot of factors going into these. And so we'll, we'll definitely be looking to refine these and, and make them more accurate. One of your key takeaways from this was that some venture back companies are going to turn to raising debt instead of, uh, you know, getting a down round of VC funding. What are the risks involved if, if they're going to do that, especially in like, you know, with the, with the way the economy is right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a situation where the risks of raising a down round at poor terms, uh, you're going to risk your ultimate payout as a founder or for your employee stock options by taking that, you know, um, giving the investors more power in a down round with with terms that are unfavorable uh, and debt, uh, while it can have it can it can hamstring your cash flow. Uh, down the road will keep you in the driver's seat as you look to exit and look to kind of ultimately, um, you know, get your payout from the work you put into your company. So that's that's a big reason why. And, and you know, obviously rates are low right now. Startups are not going to be able to uh, raise debt at the lowest rates. So it's still going to be impactful for their business. So but I think, you know, if I'm sitting in the driver's seat of a startup right now, if someone's offering me debt, then that's that's I think that's the biggest factor is if I can secure that debt round. Uh, and, and, and in that case, it's, it's going to be a, a more favorable option than giving my investors more board seats or, you know, more clawback provisions and ratchet provisions in there. Uh, in their term sheet. Jumping on to the, the next part of the report focused on exits uh, and the impact that we saw. There's some more interesting analysis you did here, you know, correlations um, between S&P 500 this time on the exit front, which I presume are IPOs, just the late stage companies kind of being more like the uh, S&P 500 than the Russell 2000 small growth. But maybe just walk listeners through, you know, kind of what the overall findings were on on exits, and then we can talk about that correlation with S and P five hundred. Yeah, in general, on exits, you know, we saw pretty significant drops um, in both volume and value, um, volume or value to a greater extent by far. Um, and so, you know, what's kind of interesting in that is when you break apart your, your M&A exit route versus your IPO exit routes that, you know, the IPO volume just really tanked last time, you know, during the financial crisis. And, and that kind of makes sense, right? Because the, the public markets are volatile. But on the, the M&A exit side, you know, you had a, a, a pretty big drop in, in value, but the actual volume of deals was definitely it, it, it you know it subsided a bit but you know essentially there was opportunity there for for acquirers to go out and buy some targets uh, at depressed valuations and, and we saw that in the uh, step up valuations um, from prior financing to exit with the with the m a exits 
on the IPO side, um, you know, we did project, did some projections on, um, you know, as you mentioned, Adley, correlating the S&P 500 to, to IPO count. And what we found is there's a pretty strong correlation there, which, which makes a lot of sense, you know, uh, as, the, as the markets get more volatile, um, you know, it's a riskier environment to, to take your company public um, and so naturally companies are going to hold off until market conditions improve. And what's particularly interesting about this, uh, this situation that we're in is, as we have mentioned a couple of times already, you know, the public markets have actually bounced back a decent amount and are, are, again, a little bit sort of don't seem to be reflecting some other broader realities about the economy. So for that reason, we, we actually, our projections actually uh, gave us some, some rather surprising numbers um, on, on how many, you know, VC-backed IPOs we should expect. Um, and we used, we, we did sort of a, a low projected count and a high projected count based off of some uh, consensus am, analyst estimates um, for where the, the, the S&P 500 will end up at the end of this year, kind of carried that forward. And so it, it will be really interesting to see kind of how that actually shakes out and how the public markets, uh, you know, whether they continue to remain relatively strong in the face of everything else that's going on. Yeah, I just want to go back to a comment you mentioned on the – uh, difference between the value of exits versus the volume of exits and that you've done some analysis and looking at actually exit values dipped below most recent um, round valuations for a year or two there. Do you anticipate that happening again or do you think sort of what we're seeing with the public markets um, and maybe what people learned during the GFC in terms of exit environment and the ability if possible to just to hang on for another year that things could look a lot better? Yeah, I I guess uh, we wouldn't be surprised if that happened again. If if a lot of those valuations for the M and A exits are going to be actually below the prior financing valuation, you know, there's been a, a little bit of hand wringing over the past several years that valuations are just too high to begin with on you know venture rounds, particularly at the later stage. So, you know, I'm not necessarily the one to make that judgment, but. Uh, but you could see a world where a lot of those um, companies who then are going to to you know seek an M and A exit actually go for for a lower price. Yeah. One trend that that might prevent that from happening again uh, is just the extended life cycles that we're seeing uh, in venture. So uh, instead of a company exiting at a lower valuation than their last financing round, you could see them. Uh, you might see them raising that debt round, You know, raising that debt to stay. Uh, keep cash flow going and stay private longer. And then the other factor that, that we're seeing is, you know, valuations are still high in, in public markets. So that makes the acquisition targets uh, less attractive to the buyers. So I would be, I'd, you know, you could actually see a reversal in those trends uh, this time around where, um, you know, volume uh, actually takes a bigger hit than it did last time. There's just fewer exits. Yeah, given all the uncertainty over the next few months, how did you guys determine what fundraising is going to look like? You know, we didn't end up actually doing any projections on this one, um, but 
what what has been interesting to see actually is the first half of 2020 was pretty strong for venture fundraising but you know that's I, I guess that speaks a little bit to the to the process of fundraising, right? It's going to take you a number of months, a year to a year and a half or so to actually be going through that fundraising process. So our assumption is a lot of those uh, funds that have closed are actually, you know, the process has been started months and months ago. And so we're just kind of seeing the culmination of those processes, uh, you know, closing finally in the first half. And so... I guess we could expect that it may not be as robust in the second half, um, you know, conducting due diligence um, over Zoom, I would imagine has got to be a lot more difficult for an LP, particularly on on the side of a, a potential first time fundraiser, uh, you know, even to get those meetings to, to uh, you know, get an LP to take the meeting virtually could definitely be a, a, a barrier to, to some of those fundraising processes. Yeah, I think what we saw was, a, you know, an extended fundraising cycle and the funds that were closer to closing at the beginning of the crisis last time were able to secure that funding. And as, as uncertainty enters the markets, you've got LPs who are less inclined to make those commitments. So, you know, depending on where you are in your fundraising process, Going into the crisis, if you're if you're close to closing, we see those fund. We you know we see a, a, a strong fundraising environment closing in those periods. But it's those those quarters afterwards during the crisis where, you know, the the fundraising cycle is going from 12 months to 16 months, and it's hard to get LPs to uh, you know make those allocations when they're not as certain what's going to happen with their public allocations and things like that. To put the LP hat on, um, it's not something that's really addressed in the report. I know there's some follow on analysis plan, but, um, you know, what do you think as an LP after reading this report, your, your take would be on the venture market and, you know, someone's venture portfolio, what should they be expecting in terms of activity? You know, where, where should they be concerned? Where are the opportunities? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, the, the biggest air, the biggest takeaway for an LP, especially for the, the funds that they've already committed to venture funds is just an extended, period of time to actually realize those gains and, and find an exit environment that is suitable to, you know, harvest uh, those gains. And then on top of that, everything's going to be extended. The fundraising life cycles are going to be extended. Uh, the, the exit life cycles are going to be extended. So I think that's the biggest thing is things are just a little bit slower than, than normal. Yeah. I'd also say, you know, what we found from the prior crisis is, uh, if you're an LP that's committed to some more recent vintages and those um, those funds are able to make some investments during a time of crisis where there's, you know, maybe lower valuations than you'd find otherwise, uh, that can end up actually being quite lucrative as far as returns for, for an LP. So, you know, there's sort of a potential silver lining to, to some of that on the on the allocator side. What's next on the docket for the quant team now that we've published this report? What are you guys diving into? Uh, a couple things. You know, we want to publish more of these uh, on other areas. I think you'll see a LP-focused report coming out next. We also want to take the research we've done here and, and apply similar processes to the European markets. But in terms of next iterations of the PE and VC reports we've already published, I think you can expect to see us take a deeper dive into some of those relationships and 
whether that's through multi-factor regressions instead of single factor or looking to at least explain whatever our regression doesn't explain in other ways. I think that'll be next steps for us. Um, We're also kicking around the idea of just general market sentiment barometers uh, and and understanding, you know, hey, here's 11 factors that influence uh, the venture market. What, how many of them are positive or, or, you know, trending positively or trending negatively and start to incorporate some more standardization around these reports that you can turn to and say, you know, in a very easy digestible way, uh, things gotten better or worse from last time. Uh, and so I think that that's, that's somewhere we're going to turn our focus before we publish our next version. Excellent. Well, we will certainly look forward to that. Uh, Dan and Andy, thanks so much for joining us for today's show. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks guys. As always, you can go to pitchbook.com slash podcasts for the show notes and other relevant materials. I'm Adam Lewis. And I'm Adley Bowden. Thanks for listening to this episode of PitchBook's Invisible Capital Podcast. Please uh, favorite, subscribe, uh, and leave us a review on whichever of your favorite podcast apps you're using. Mm-hmm.